I'm Audrey Cooper, editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. Well, it's official. State officials are saying parents' worst fears are coming true and children will likely not be back at their schools until the fall. Joining me to talk about this is education reporter Jill Tucker. Now, Jill, you obtained a letter today from the state school superintendent uh, bringing some pretty crushing news to a lot of us. What did this letter say? Yeah, so Superintendent uh, Tony Thurman sent a letter to the county uh, superintendents of schools across the state and basically acknowledged uh, something he has yet to acknowledge, which is given the safety concerns, given the social distancing that is required across the state until early May, it appears that schools will not reopen this year. Now, he did use the word appears, and he did, uh, and he basically, this is not a directive. He he can't direct local districts uh, to do that. Uh, schools, uh, school boards will have to do that on their own. But basically, this is the guidance that school districts had been waiting for from the state to basically give them that ability to make this decision. Um, it's just been changing every week. Everybody's been on pins and needles. And while school districts are still going to officially have to make this decision, this is the clearest signal that we have gotten statewide that basically says what we all thought was going to happen, what we all feared was going to happen, which is kids are not going to be back in class until the fall. Um, I, I told you before we started recording this, I, I got the news that you had obtained this letter just as we were having an epic meltdown over math assignments in my house. I think a lot of parents are just on uh, their last shred of patience. But why why make this decision when the school year really for some people don't doesn't end until the end of May? Why is this helpful information to give now to the schools? Well, just as an aside, I think that sound you hear across the state is parents having a meltdown right now. <laughs> no, no, that's but... my kid in the other room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's parents. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, you know, I think as much as this is sort of the worst case scenario that everybody has feared, I think the reality what I've been hearing from parents and school officials is they just want to call it, right? They just want to know. Um, because at first, they shut down schools and said, oh, we're going to open after spring break, which is we're in spring break right now. Schools were supposed to open next Monday. And then they pushed it off until May 4th. And so I think, you know, this, you know, maybe it's a little like pulling off the Band-Aid, you know, slowly or quickly. But at this point, I think that if everybody could just settle in and understand what's happening, then this districts can really start moving forward strongly with distance learning, get schedules in place. Parents can really figure out whether or not they need to figure out childcare or other types of things for the long haul. I mean, they can start thinking about what happens in the summer, what happens in the fall. Right now, I think, you know, when you still have that kernel of hope that kids can go back to school on May 4th, it's difficult to move forward, right? And so what I'm hearing from a lot of teachers, a lot of folks is like, let's just rip off the Band-Aid. We just want to know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Um, I I thought it it was something to look forward to, but I can imagine if you're a teacher and you're thinking, well, do I do this distance learning thing for three more weeks? Do we really put that much attention to it? Or do we just like try to get through a month and then we'll be back? That's really, it would be helpful for a teacher. Um, now, I think we also know in the state we have an inequitable public school system. There are some schools 
that are really well funded um, and there are some that are really struggling. Has that shown up in the quality or the availability of distance learning right now? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the reality is schools are all over the map. I mean, schools in the same district, schools across the same county. Um, you just have different types of resources based on maybe parent donations or or other types of things. You have Santa Clara, for example, that I wrote about uh, last week that basically, um, you know, they they were already at uh, Chromebooks one-to-one uh, for each kid. So they were able, and they started right away uh, ramping up distance learning. So they're already doing curriculum. You know, they're already back to Cold War propaganda or or whatever other types of topics that they were learning. Whereas other folks are still operating on, you know, teachers saying, okay, we'll read a book for 30 minutes, you know, and, and do other these, you know, types of activities. Here's some math games. Um, so we're really kind of all over the map in terms of the technology that students have, the training that teachers have uh, to do distance learning. Um, and, you know, obviously families that have computers and internet access at home, this is going to be a lot easier. Districts are still trying to figure out which kids need uh, Chromebooks or other types of technology, and they're loaning them out. They're doing drive-by distribution of Chromebooks. Um, so everybody's still trying to ramp up, um, even as we head into, um, you know, April tomorrow. Yeah, I, I can imagine that if you, I, I only have one child, as do you, and and that's one thing, but I'm hearing from parents who have three kids and three different schedules, and that's a lot of computers to have in your house, and, and you're assuming that everybody has Wi-Fi, and that's not true either. So even if your school district has a lot of technology, if you don't have that at home, your, your child can still be disadvantaged. How are we dealing with that? Well, that's something that I keep hearing from parents. They're like, well, that's nice that they handed out Chromebooks, but, you know, I have three kids and they all need to be on it at once or, you know, Wi-Fi issues or I'm working. And, you know, some districts are saying if you have a computer at home, you don't qualify for a Chromebook, but the parents are using the computer or other kids in the house are using the computer. So we still have a lot of mountains to climb in terms of figuring all of this out um, before kids are really going to get back to any semblance of actual learning the curriculum, right? I think a lot of folks are saying, you know, we just need to understand what's happening here. This is not going to replicate the schooling or the education that we had a month ago. This year is just going to be different. Um, we're going to do the best we can in terms of keeping kids learning. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's where we are. I mean, there's just no way that we're going to be able to teach all ninth graders algebra, you know, finish the algebra year, um, you know, through distance learning for every kid. So expectations have to be tempered a little bit um, that we want kids to keep learning, but we also have to acknowledge we are just in an, in an unprecedented time. I mean, this is, as somebody sort of tweeted out, this is a defining moment for this generation, for our society right now. And um, as much as we want kids to be learning multiplication tables or calculus or, you know, uh, Shakespeare, um, we're, we're going to have to sort of figure that we're in a, a situation and, and we'll probably have to play catch up uh, for a lot of these kids. I, yeah, that's the I've, I've been trying to think in my head which which grades are are most at risk of really being hurt by this. And, and you know, my my 
kids in second grade. So I, I worry a lot about all of those statistics that we hear about that say if kids are not up to their reading level by third grade, it's almost impossible for them to ever catch up. Um, but it's really hard to do that if you're working at home. What Are there any grades in particular that we should be worried about or does everybody have their own individual issues? You know, I think it's, I think it's, it, it probably depends on the child. I, I also think that, you know, you have some pretty critical grades. So third grade, where you're talking about reading, or you're talking about uh, basic fundamental math concepts, you know, but the reality is too, like, you know, even in high school, if you miss out on some fundamental algebraic concepts, like in algebra one, that is going to be an issue, a, a lack, a hole in your learning when you go into geometry and algebra two, which is required for graduation. So teachers may be for the next, you know, few years recovering, you know, from this to sort of fill those gaps, to identify the gaps and fill those gaps um, where the, the students are missing some of that critical, critical information. Should we think about just redoing the whole year over again in California? Oh, I don't think that would go over well, <laughs> but <laughs> well, probably not. But I mean, is it possible to catch up from almost a whole semester? Yeah, you know what? When I talked to one education expert, they basically said, "Look, we made it through seven months of the year. This could have been a lot worse." And when you think about the last month of the year, is a lot of you know celebrations and parties and other you know final projects and things like that. We made it through the vast majority of the learning year that comes before state testing and things like that. We're probably talking about you know a month to six weeks of 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 learning, um, of content. Um, and, and hopefully, um, people can make that up. I think the real question is we've now just extended the summer, you know, essentially two months longer. And we, we always have the summer slide anyway. So that, so you're, you're, you're looking at maybe that summer learning loss, they may have to spend more time in the fall, catching kids up, getting them back into learning and, and remembering all of the stuff that they forgot, um, you know, that they learned, you know, in March or February. So hopefully kids can catch up. And we may even see some summer school, right? We may see a lot of districts trying to get kids in um, for, for some summer learning uh, to catch up. I'm speaking with education reporter Jill Tucker about the cancellation of, uh, of, of school classes in school for this year. Jill, when we come back, I want to talk about some distance learning companies and some other things that our schools are doing. We'll be right back. Jill, before we went to break, we were talking about how far we got in this school year. And I think one of, one of the things that I've learned in trying to make sure a child doesn't fall too far behind and does the distance learning is that so much of school is really about socialization and about teaching curiosity, at least in the younger grades, especially. And, and they're the children are missing out on that ability to socialize with their friends. What can, what can we do to make sure that part of school doesn't get lost, even as they're getting math assignments and spelling assignments and reading assignments? Yeah, you know, I think that's the hardest part. I, I talked to a teacher yesterday, and he basically said what he's going to miss the most is the magic that happens in the classroom. And that's when that sense of discovery and the kids working together and, you know, 
finding out things on their own and and finding their curiosity, that's what he's going to miss most. And and I think that that's difficult. I will say um, the the districts that are getting up on on distance learning, a lot of them are using um, uh, video chatting um, like Zoom, um, so that everybody can see each other. And I, I am hearing from some teachers like just the fact that all the kids can see each other's faces and they can talk to each other. It, it's helping a little bit. Um, and I, I think social media, I mean, if this had happened 20 years ago, you know, you'd had a, a phone that was attached to the wall, I guess. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, nothing. And so now I think um, kids are socializing. They're using, you know, whether it's through video gaming online or Zoom or in their video conferencing um, with their teachers and, and, and classmates. Technology is, is definitely making this a lot easier than if this had happened, you know, a couple decades ago. Yeah, that's a really good perspective. I mean, we 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 do have Wi-Fi that will be able to support me and a husband and the son all on that some platform at one time, even if it's not as widespread as we want. There's definitely are some bright spots out there, and that that includes. The, there are I I had no idea there were so many online teaching companies out there. There are so many of them that we've been turned on to. I, which raises the question for me, how do you keep your kid from becoming a vegetable when they're on their screen so much? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The ed tech industry is exploding. My email is, you know, filled with hundreds of ed tech companies going, look what we have and look what we're providing for free. And and there's so many, so many, so many resources out there. And I think it's, you know, to a certain degree, it's a conundrum for families because, you know, th- there's been this whole effort to limit screen time, right? To go out and play and limit screen time. And now all of a sudden we're like, your education, your socializing, everything is on the screen. Um, so I think, you know, it's something to be mindful about, uh, but there are a lot of really fantastic resources out there. Um, Common Sense Media has um, a lot of reviews of these types of ed tech and things that are available. Um, and there's always like, the amazing nonprofits out there like the Exploratorium and and other places, zoos that you can go do virtual field trips and and things like that, um, that are amazing resources that aren't just video games or math games or or that type of thing that are, you know, things that you can, um, even though it's a screen, you know, go visit things that you might not go visit. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a, if you know if i had was a parent of a young child still i think i'd be overwhelmed by how much is out there but there are resources to help you sift through that and i know some folks are saying talk to the teacher find out you know what they like what 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 they're recommending um their students and their parents use um as as supplemental material for their kids yeah, there's the it, it, overwhelming is the the perfect way to describe what I feel right now. And I think there's also this idea that if they're not in school and we can't give them attention all the time, that you need to be doing even more education. So we're going much later into the day now. And I, I think that's also exhausting for children because they're not used to going to school the same hours that we go to work. No, no. And I think the thing is, you know, what 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 you need to realize is though, even though you send your child off to school for six or seven hours a day, if you actually sort of calculate in your mind, how much of that time are they actually learning, right? 
you know, when they get into class, they're taking role, they're getting people organized, they're passing out materials, they're doing this or that. So, you know, some of the experts are sort of saying, look, if, if you get two hours of learning in for your child, you know, your middle school, sixth grader, whatever, uh, fifth grader, two hours of learning is a lot. And so I think, you know, you, you need to sort of think about how do they spend their time at school? And if I do 15 minutes of math with them, that's probably more than they would have gotten, right? Because it's intense time on that on that topic. So I think we just all need to sort of take that deep breath and say it's going to be okay. And if you get a half an hour of learning in, then, you know, gold star on the fridge. I, you know, that's great. <laughs> I would like to have one of those gold stars right now. I, but I think you're that's such an excellent point that I wish we could just broadcast to all parents. It is definitely a eureka moment that I had that he's not in school learning six hours a day. There's a lot of play and socialization and other things going on. So I think as parents, when we go to work and we have to accomplish a lot of things and we forget what school was like, it was very long time ago for many of us. And I and I do think giving us uh, a break is really important. Yeah, it's just it's stressful. I mean, you want your child to do well, you're scared they're going to learn, they're going to miss out, you know, and, and you feel this overwhelming pressure to, you know, I don't get them into college or whatever that next step is. And, and it, it it's so much pressure. And, and I, I, I wish, you know, because I talked to a lot of experts, and they just, all of them are like, it's, it's gonna be okay. You know, do your best. You know, don't, don't freak out, you know, I, and I keep thinking about this. This is going to be a memory for for all of our children. Um, this will be something that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. And, and, and how they that they remember that, you know, is up to the, the support system and the people around them. And, you know, if this is if it's stressful, and if it's all like, you know, six hours, and oh, we got to finish this, you know, wh- what would their memories be versus, you know, all right, we did 15 minutes, let's go, you know, run around and have a pillow fight. Um, you know, maybe the memory, you know, I think if every everybody will have a better memory if they, they take that deep breath and, and realize that we're just in a crisis. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, let's talk about the families who maybe have even more complications and, and they have children with, with learning disabilities. What's What's it like for those parents right now? It's really, really hard. I have a story coming out um, about this, and uh, these parents are are incredibly, incredibly overwhelmed. Um, the schools are such a lifeline for them, and the expertise is with the teachers and the aides. And the parents, um, you know, often it, the the amount of care that you have to provide for a student with special needs is is so much greater. And right now they can't even get respite care um, because they can't have people come into their house. It's it's um, it's incredibly incredibly overwhelming. And my heart uh, goes out to all those families. Finally, let's let's talk about the graduating seniors. Um, what? What a horrible experience when you're looking forward to your senior prom and graduation and all of these things. 
Um, what are you hearing from the graduating class of 2020? Not the year they expected to have. No, um, you know, it, it it's sad. I think they're all trying to grapple with the fact that this was supposed to be the time when it got easy, right? You know, when when they got into college and it was, you know, sort of the senior, the senioritis and getting, you know, start practicing graduation and, and doing all those traditional things with the senior class and your friends and, and it's, um, you know, I think based on the, the superintendent's letter, I, I think any hope of that stuff happening when it was supposed to um, is is gone. Um, that said, I, you know, I haven't heard a lot about it yet, but I, I would venture to guess that once we realize schools are for sure closed, that there is a possibility that we might see graduations rescheduled for the summer um, or proms rescheduled, you know, in the school gym at another time or, you know, when everything opens up. I I, I would like to think that we're a pre- pretty creative bunch and, and kids especially. And if there's a way for them to recover some of this, um, you know, we'll see. I, I think everybody is still not sure how long we're going to be cooped up in all of our own homes. And, um, you know, but but certainly for these kids, they, they just lost a, a little bit of rite of passage uh, in their life. Yeah. yeah. The other question I'm getting a lot on social media is, is it possible if you were a glass half full kind of person to see this as a possible uh, positive step towards, you know, democratizing education in a way that um, we're very much tied to a physical sense of uh, a place right now? Is it possible that this is learning, you know, from remotely is just going to be part of how we look at high school, college, maybe even younger grades from now on? You know, it's interesting. It depends on who you ask. And I think that there's a debate about this. I think on the one hand, the glass half full people, on the one side of the argument, they're glass half full in the sense that this is forcing these public schools to sort of catapult into the 21st century of technology. And, you know, no longer are teachers who have never done a video conference, like that's just no longer okay. And so it's forcing everyone to sort of adapt to technology. And I and I think people see that as a very bright spot in what is happening here. I think on the other side, the other half glass, glass half full people actually see it as something else. They see this as proof that digital learning is not a replacement for the classroom. So that all these ed tech people that say you can learn online and you don't need to go to class and you don't need a classroom, uh, this is proving that in fact you you actually do need that. You need to be with a teacher. You need to have that support. You need to, you know, these classrooms do serve a purpose. Um, so maybe it's both, you know, maybe there is a, a bright side in all of this that we take the best of both worlds um, coming out of this and uh, and move forward from there. That said, you know, not to be Debbie Downer, but um, school budgets are going to be horrific next year. And um, I, I, I can't imagine what's going to get cut in the coming years uh, because of of uh, of state budgets and, and other um, issues that districts will be facing. That's a kind of a, a terrible end to this. 
<laughs> well, if there's anything I'm convinced of after um, trying to do going on three weeks of homeschool, it's that we need to pay our teachers a lot more because they're dealing with a lot. They, Jill, thank yeah. you for joining me. I will just say that the funniest thing that I heard when somebody said that teachers should be paid a billion dollars a year, it was uh, a parent who posted about homeschooling and they said their their first day of homeschooling, two students were suspended for fighting and one teacher was fired for drinking on the job. And I <laughs> I just thought that it, it was it was very funny with their their these parents first foray into homeschooling realizing that teachers do this with 30 kids every day. <laughs> or more. Sometimes. Or more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well thank you, Jill. It's um it our school is ending for the day and, and this teacher needs to go to cocktail time too. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. All right, well cheers. I'd like to thank reporter Jill Tucker for being with me today. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.